what everybody else got to say. If you constantly got your eyes on what everybody else doing, you ain't getting no money. When it comes down to closing the deal, I get it done. Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Coinology. And I am so excited to be sitting here next to none other than Dr. Lipman. You guys give it up for Dr. Lipman. This episode is a super special episode for me because um, I am a, such a huge proponent for the work that Dr. Lipman does. So much so that I am actually personally a patient of Dr. Lipman's. And I always say that to him and his wife whenever I see them. I'm like, I'm, I was a patient. I was a patient. Um, Dr. Lipman is probably one of the most sought after physicians in the space of uterine fibroids. And I know that he has a specialty in other areas and we'll talk about that here shortly. But Dr. Lipman changed my life um, about I gave birth to my daughter 14 years ago. And during that time, uh, we found out while I was pregnant, that I had a huge fibroid, I had multiple fibroids. But one of them was so large that it was covering the opening of my cervix. And um, I end up having to have a cesarean, but the, the thing about it is, and after that, they end up removing the fibroid a year later. So 13 years ago, they removed it. But the key part of this is they were able to see that this fibroid was blocking my cervix. Back in the day, let's say we were back in the 1800s and they weren't able to see that. What would probably have happened is that I would have probably died in childbirth yes. or my daughter would have died in childbirth, right? Absolutely. Um, fibroids are very, very, very serious things. And I know that we hear about it a lot, but we don't know the seriousness because fibroids also can cause cancer too, correct? Well, you, you, when you look at someone that has fibroids, you don't know a hundred percent that they're fibroids. Usually they are. They're way more common, fortunately, than cancer. Occasionally, cancer can lurk in a uterus that has fibroids too. So, um, fortunately, that's a very uncommon thing. But it really hit home when I found out that basically, if if I had lived a hundred years ago, I probably would have died giving birth to my daughter. And um, Dr. Lippman changed my life because in addition to that, you know, when women struggle with fibroids, they also struggle with very heavy, heavy, heavy periods, which can cause debilitating lifestyles for us. I mean, you just, you, you don't you don't know what you can wear, where you can go, what you can do. My life was pretty much very um, limited. And so until I met Dr. Lippman, my life was, it, 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 I can't even express how damaging it was at that time, you know, as a woman. And I'm sure all of the other women out here can relate. I was, as I was sharing with Dr. Lippman, nine out of 10 of my girlfriends struggle with fibroids. And uh, before I met Dr. Lippman, I was told that my only option at that time was a hysterectomy. Right. And that's what most women hear about. That's the only thing they'll hear. They'll hear, you can undergo hysterectomy, be done with it. And that's it. And there are is a tremendous other option that's completely non-surgical that you underwent, uh, that you can get your life back without any surgery, go home the same day with a Band-Aid, get the relief of symptoms you're looking for, avoid the risks and long recovery of operation, because we can talk about what happens to women when they lose their uterus, particularly at a young age. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was the part I was afraid of, Dr. Lippman. I was so young. Oh, the average age of hysterectomy in this country is 39. And I spoke not long ago at Tuskegee, and I met three women less than 30 had already had a hysterectomy. None of them wanted it, but they were so tired of dealing with the stuff that you mentioned, the mm -hmm. heavy periods, the pelvic pain. Everything they did revolved around their menstrual, whether they worked or not, whether they had relations or not, whether whatever they did. they Vacations, had everything, everything. Everything revolved around it, and they knew it was, they went through it each month, and then it was coming up again, and this... So there's a, an incredible physical thing that happens to women because they lose so much blood, they lose iron and hemoglobin. So now they're chronically fatigued and anemic. And so there's a physical burden that they bear. 
but there's also this mental burden that they bear because it's they know that it's going to happen again each and every month. They're going to have to go through this. They're going to have to fight through this horrible period every month, and it's mentally challenging. Mm-hmm. So there's there's both of that going on, and they go to their gynecologist, and some of them, like these three women that I met, less than 30, mm-hmm. they were just tired of dealing with it, and I understand that. But women are entitled to know all their options, not just the surgical ones, and that's where we come in trying to educate women that no matter what your gynecologist tells you, you do not need to have a hysterectomy for fibroids. You can have this great UFE procedure and get your life back without any surgery and keep all your parts. And keep everything because I was so super young. And to have thought about doing that then was traumatic to even think about it. But Dr. Lipman, let me ask you this. The the rates of this fibroid issue, is it higher in in African-Americans? No question about it. Um, 80% or so of African-American adult women have these fibroids. So it's common in all women, mm-hmm. but it's it's particularly common in the African-American woman. And that's who we spend a lot of time trying to talk to just so they have the information. Because information is power. Information is, and that's what today is all about, is providing the information. Before we go into the information and where we currently are with fibroids and some of the newest developments that have come out around that, let's talk a little bit about you, Dr. Lippman. Where are you from? I'm originally from Rochester, New York. Okay. Because, you know, it was funny. My producers were out there trying to prepare for today's segment, and they couldn't find much about you out there besides all your accolades. <laughs> so I don't know that people really know a lot about Dr. Littman. Were you your only child? What type of family did you grow up in? Uh, I, my dad uh, was a physician, a primary care physician, um, and my mom was a nurse. So I grew up in kind of a medical family. Mm-hmm. And, Uh, I only wanted to do two things in life, either be a doctor or be a professional baseball player. And I played baseball through college, a little bit after college, but I realized I wasn't going to make it. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of really good uh, people out there, played year-round in the South. And so I focused on medicine. And um, I have one younger brother, and so it's just the two of us. uh, Is he a doctor, too? No, he's a lawyer and a judge. Okay. So we're... um, But... um, I've been in Atlanta now the last uh, 31 years, so even though I didn't grow up here in the South, I'm kind of a common law. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel the same way. I feel like I'm, I'm a, a Georgia peach, even though I didn't grow up here. And I saw that you went on to Georgetown. I did. I went to medical school at Georgetown, and then I did my radiology residency at Brigham and Women's Hospital, Harvard Medical School. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Yale for a year to do specific training in interventional radiology, and then I came to Atlanta 31 years ago. Amazing. Now, explain. Isn't Harvard and Yale, aren't they competitors? They're very or? competitive. So how did that work out for you? <laughs> uh, well, I, I spent four years at Harvard and one year at Yale. So I guess... Uh, Do you So you feel more of a Harvard... I, I actually went to a couple of the Harvard-Yale football games. It's very competitive, <laughs> those football games. And so I... I even though I went to Yale, I, I wear my Harvard Crimson just because I spent more time there. But um, I have really good friends at Yale, and we kind of kid about that. Um, did you meet your wife there? No, actually, uh, I met my wife. I did one year of medicine, internal medicine in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and I met her there. Okay. And then children. Any kids? Or Yeah, we have three kids. Three kids. Um, my oldest is a nurse practitioner at mm-hmm. Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. She works on... Uh, the airway team with a, uh, an amazing uh, ENT surgeon who does reconstructive airways on these kids that were preemies and in the NICU, and now they uh, need reconstructed airways. Um, and so she works with him. Uh, my middle daughter is uh, out in Phoenix at the uh, Phoenix School for the Deaf. Uh, she's a deaf interpreter. She's not deaf herself, but mm-hmm. she's uh, uh, her training is in American Sign Language, so she teaches... Uh, children, um, American Sign Language. And my uh, youngest uh, is in the wine and spirits industry in Nashville, working for a company called Lippman Distributors, which is no relation, but (laughs) just ironic that it's the same last Mm -hmm. name as ours. That's amazing. That's amazing. So how did you end up um, uh, choosing the the field of study in medicine? So I know that it's very competitive um, when you guys are in medical school trying to determine where you would stru- you know stay and, and study. How did you determine that you wanted to work with women? Well, initially I was at Georgetown uh, as a medical student, and I heard about a gentleman that was doing these amazing procedures that replaced surgery. 
And he was working at a small hospital in Virginia. And so I wrote to him and I said, you know, I'm a medical student. Do you ever take medical students? I have elective time. Do you ever take medical students and, you know, have them observe and so forth? And he was really touched by that. And he said, oh, absolutely. I've never had a medical student before, but yes, I, mm-hmm. uh, I would love to, to do that. And uh, turns out he is now one of the iconic people in our specialty. Um, his name is Barry Katzen, and he was the founder of the Miami Heart and Vascular Institute in Miami and just a worldwide known interventional radiologist, a tremendous individual. And you didn't know him personally? No, I didn't know him at all. You just he, said, okay, he I'm going to write him. He, at the time, he was in this small hospital in Alexandria, Virginia, mm-hmm. doing his thing. And I spent time with him. I'm like, wow, I want to be like him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went into interventional radiology, and then I started doing these procedures that replaced uh, surgery. And it is, it's cutting edge medicine without mm-hmm. the cutting, mm-hmm. what we say. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's all done from the inside. It's, I think it's the coolest thing in medicine that there is. And um, I really enjoy doing what I do. I, and, and it's painless. And it's painless because I remember when I had my procedure, all I remember is counting down, counting back. I saw you and your nurse standing above me. I think you guys did crack the joke. And to this day, I'm still trying to remember what that joke was, but I can't remember it. Um, and then I woke up. Yeah, if you talk to my wife, I have uh, one of the corniest senses of humor. So <laughs> it was probably a very bad dad joke. But uh, And so you, you but the, the key thing is you did not know him. You were not no, afraid. No. You were not hesitant. You said, let me just take my chances and send him a letter. Exactly. I just, you know, I didn't know what his response would be. And I, th- I say, I think he was really touched by it because we've now over the years, he's He's a huge deal in our field. He's, you know, every award possible, he has won it. Um, and he is very forward-thinking, entrepreneurial, and just created this amazing vascular center that's worldwide reputation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he was so humble, and he was, I think he really was touched by it. He wrote me a really nice letter mm-hmm. not long ago. Um, I know he's extremely proud of the work that you're doing. And that's what he said. It was kind of like a father. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, getting that you know, kind of acknowledgement from your dad. But Dr. Lippman, I don't know if you know this, you're not just a doctor. Um, I don't know if you know, but the, so it is told if you're going, I remember when I found out that I had a fibroid issue and my gynecologist said to me, if you're going to go to anybody, you have to go to Dr. Lippman. At that time, I believe you were in Emory. You were with Emory mm-hmm. right? and you were off on, I think South Atlanta road or something at that time. And, um, she mentioned to me, women from all over the country fly in to Dr. Lippman to have him to see you. So the fact that you live here in Atlanta and he's in your um, your insurance coverage, I can't even think of the term now, you have to go to him. And so that is the word, the word out there from the celebrities, influencers, leaders, it, it, just the everyday woman is Dr. Lippman can help you. So I'm sure he's very proud of the work because, again, you're not just a doctor. You are sought out all over the country. Yeah, we've, we've been very privileged to care for women. Pre-COVID, we would see women even outside the United States, uh, patients from Africa, the Caribbean, mm-hmm. um, sometimes Europe, um, but all throughout the United States. And while if somebody's coming to me from out, you know, in the United States, we try to tell them, you know, you can... There's usually somebody, if it's a big city somewhere mm-hmm. in the United States, we can say, well, if you want, there's somebody not that far from you, and we can give them the contact of that interventional radiologist in that city. And sometimes they will do that, and other times they'll say, you know what, I just, you know, I want to come to you. I've heard about what you've done and what you're doing, and we want to come to Atlanta. Unfortunately, Delta can you can pretty much fly nonstop, mm-hmm. pretty much almost anywhere, and so we've been very fortunate to, to see women um, from all over coming to our center, the Atlanta Fibroid Center. And how many locations do you have? We just have the one location for doing the procedures. We, mm-hmm. we do have a, an office share situation in Macon. So we do see some, some people you know, that allow access to um, Florida and you know, middle and south Georgia, Alabama, um, and so, because a lot of those people don't really want to come to Atlanta, even though we'll see them remotely if, mm-hmm. if they want, you know, for the consultation. 
But oftentimes people say, well, I want to see you. I want to, mm-hmm. if you're going to quote, operate on me, I want to mm-hmm. see who that is. That's and, very important. And so we say, yeah, okay, well, you can see us in Atlanta or you can come to Macon. We'll be happy to see you there too. Now, I saw that in 2005, you actually branched off and started your own practice. So what was the mentality there? Because I know most doctors focus on just being a doctor. Um, Running your own practice and becoming a business owner, that's a whole nother situation, right? Right. Well, I I do volunteer at Morehouse School of Medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a tremendous place. Um, And I'm hoping to try to influence some curriculum to get business principles, just the basic principles Mm -hmm. into medical school curriculum. Um, because I've learned, I didn't know anything about business, and I've learned so much uh, over the years that I wish I would have, somebody would have given me some of the basics, mm-hmm. even in medical school, because, you know, um, that would really have been helpful and important. I learned a lot about business over the years, but that was something that I initially got a team. I knew the clinical side of stuff really well when I went out on my own, but I didn't have any business knowledge, so I would basically ask people to kind of help me, kind of you form your team. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, they were business people. Uh, A really good friend of mine is in the hotel uh, industry, hospitality industry, Mm -hmm. owns hotels. Uh, He has helped me tremendously on the business side of things because you got to know that too. Business, that's the part that most people think. They think because I'm a great dentist or I'm a great hairstylist or I'm a great doctor or whatever, I can just go and open my own practice. If you don't understand the principles of business, you're going to struggle. What was some of the biggest challenges you had when you first opened? Well, certainly, I mean, you know, financially, it's a big commitment. Our our equipment is very expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, when I, uh, we we built the center uh, where we are now in Smyrna, And we have this really expensive equipment, and I went with GE, even though I was more of a Philips Siemens guy. Those two, I'd worked on those two different platforms. I hadn't worked with GE, but they came in, they did a really nice, uh, their equipment is really nice, and they gave me a nice deal. And then I looked at the kind of specifics, and I was like, "Um, what is this line item here? Uh, It's an extra $100,000. And it's, and it's, you know, you're, that's a lot of money, it obviously. Is, it is. And they were like, oh, well, that's a bond that you have to put up uh, so that we can do this. And I'm like, well, is this what you do with hospitals and other places? Because mm-hmm. I'd never heard of this extra bond. I know mm-hmm. the cost in renting the equipment and so forth. Oh, no, that's specifically for you. And I'm like, well, why do I have to, mm-hmm. why is it, do I have that burden and they're like, well, frankly, Doc, we don't think you're going to be here six months from mm. now because mm. most businesses fail. fail. Mm-hmm. And so that was their insurance policy. Well, you know, and I think one of the things we can take from that is, one, pay attention. So most businesses fail because they don't pay attention to the numbers. So paying attention and actually having the confidence to ask the question. So most people are so insecure about what they don't know, they don't ask the question. So, you know, asking questions and and so forth and actually hiring people or surrounding your people, yourself around people who actually know the business better than you. Absolutely. So th- what was your biggest challenge, though, when you first started the business as far as um, staying afloat? Well, I mean, fortunately, I had a reputation at, you know, my previous practice so that, and I wasn't moving to a new town or a new area. So mm-hmm. I had a base of, you know, business and people that are here already. And I, you know, so I was, I was confident that, you know, we were going to be successful. Mm-hmm. And, and fortunately, we were. Um, but early on, it's, you know, it's rice and beans. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you're paid last. That's right. Um, and you've got to, we put everything into the business and, uh, you know, we were pretty confident. We had a really good product. Uh, and which, it was the same product then. Correct. Same, same product. product. Okay. We just, you know, we, instead of a hospital, mm-hmm. we were going to, we were going to be the hospital because mm-hmm. there's no, you don't need a hospital for what I What do. you do? Because I think I went to, it was an outpatient type correct. situation, right? Outpatient right? facility. So, we best we basically replaced the hospital because the hospitals is a very frustrating environment for physicians and costly and, and very costly very inefficient mm-hmm. uh, the inefficiencies at hospitals are legendary um, and it's just unnecessary people don't want to go to hospitals because they're germ ridden and even before covid you know it's not the most pleasant environment um, and we wanted to make the experience for women. We serve women, mm-hmm. particularly women of color. Mm-hmm. And so we got a bunch of focus groups together and said, you know, forget hospital. 
if you're not feeling well and you're going to be cared for in a medical situation, what are the things that are important to you? Mm -hmm. And so we talked to a lot of women and, you know, quality was obviously important, but that was a given. But the number one thing was privacy. Mm -hmm. And so all of our patients have their own private room. It's not like if you look in the outpatient world, mm -hmm. and I had a colonoscopy not long ago, it's basically this recovery area with these little flimsy sheets. Yes, no privacy. You know, no privacy. You whatsoever. can hear everyone's conversation well, around you. There was one gown for everybody, mm -hmm. and I'm 6'4", and there was a woman in the next thing next to me. She was like 300 pounds. We were both coming out of our gowns, and we were looking at each other going, you know, we should be married because there, no, <laughs> there are no secrets here. And so... That, that was very important. Privacy was important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one patient, one nurse. Mm -hmm. um, you know, nurses today are so overworked. They're responsible for so many more than one or two. It's five or six, seven patients. Mm -hmm. You can't possibly give first-rate care if you're so stretched thin. Mm -hmm. So we wanted one patient, one nurse. And so the facility is just geared for women um, and their whole experience. We want them to say, wow. Um, I, I felt like I was at the Ritz-Carlton mm -hmm. in the Four Seasons. Mm -hmm. um, I never felt like this in a healthcare environment. And, and that's what we do each and every day at the Atlanta Fibroid Center. I think uh, the indiv individualized care was very important because I was actually shocked that I actually met Dr. Lippman because typically in situations like that, you meet um, your associate, doc your, you know, the other doctors that right. work with you or your nurse practitioner. But you make it a point after you see all those before you that you actually have a conversation with each. Because I think I just recently came back to visit you maybe about a year or so ago um, because I did want to see, you know, it's been 13 years since I had my last procedure. And I'm like, okay, doc, you know, and you said, well, most people who have that are usually in menopause. You just had it so early right. that that's not the case. So, and, and that was the part that most people don't talk about. So sometimes you do have to go back after having the initial procedure, yes. correct? Yes, we try to see everybody at three months after. Because if you're good at three months, if you can tell things are significantly better or gone completely and the fibroids are dead, likely I'll never see you again, particularly if you're in your 40s when you have the embolization. But I was so young. If you're in your 30s, you know, you have a longer time to menopause. And so we would see you more often. Um, and occasionally fibroids will grow. Grow back. Ones. Yeah. And then you could get a second embolization if necessary. Fortunately, that's not a common thing, but we do see that from time to time, particularly if it's a younger patient. Um, but even two embolizations is still way, way better than one surgery. Than a hysterectomy. And I ended up not having to get the second embolization. But Dr. Lippman, this is the part that I think is the question. Why do you think it is so prevalent in African-American women? What do you think the, the key factor is? Well, Unfortunately, nobody knows where fibroids come from, and there hasn't been enough research into that. But hopefully we're trying to change that. I have a foundation, uh, Free From Fibroids Foundation, that's trying to push. There is legislation stuck um, in the House and Senate. It's called the Stephanie, uh, Stephanie Jones, uh, Tub Jones uh, Research, Fibroid Research Education Act, which will hopefully finally bring some funding to this question and... Um, but there are several reasons why African-American women disproportionately suffer. Um, fibroids will grow with estrogen. Mm -hmm. That's why they can grow rapidly during pregnancy and why they tend not to be an issue for most women once they reach menopause. Estrogen is produced and stored in fat. And so the more body fat you have on you, the more extra estrogen mm. you have on board. Mm. And that can make fibroids grow. Um, African-American women get fibroids earlier in life. They get more of them. They are, tend to be bigger and more numerous and more mm -hmm. likely to get hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. um, vitamin D is important in mm -hmm. fibroid situations. Um, vitamin D is actually a hormone, technically. It's not a vitamin, but it's the most powerful anti-fibroid growth hormone that there is. And only 10% of African-American men or women have adequate vitamin D. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is a contributing factor. Um, the foods we eat, mm -hmm. you can't avoid hormones in the foods, even in the water, but there are certain hormone-rich foods, if you will, red meat, non-organic chicken, dairy, um, eating more colored fruits and vegetables because the colored fruits and vegetables have what are called flavonoids in them. And 
flavonoids can block an important enzyme in estrogen production. So if you can eat more colored fruits and vegetables, limit or eliminate some of the hormone-rich foods, if you can make sure your vitamin D is adequate, um, your exercise, lose any excess body fat, mm -hmm. so eat well, healthy choices, that is the best you know, protection against fibroids. Um, African-American women typically have more body fat on them than yeah. other racial groups. So mm -hmm. that's, you know, again, what, what we try to stress to get them into programs that will help with that. Hair relaxers, now not mm -hmm. as much of an importance mm -hmm. now because more women are wearing their hair naturally. Mm -hmm. But back in the day, mm -hmm. it was a bigger problem. And if mm -hmm. you look at the main ingredient in hair relaxers, it's biochemically almost identical to estrogen. Mm -hmm. And you're basically getting it right into the vascular yes. scalp. It goes right into the bloodstream. At least six times a year because African-American women typically relax their hair around every two months. And so, and, and I always said, Dr. Lippman, when you put, you can smell and it burns your right. scalp. So you know that it can't be healthy. Right. That you can, you can smell it. One of the things before we move on is the estrogen. So the other thing I'm not sure if you're aware, but um, I would say about 20 or so years ago, probably 20, 30 years ago, especially when Planned Parenthood was really big, especially in urban communities, um, the choice of birth control pills that they gave to all of the young African-American women were, was 777-28 orthonovium. Yep. And, and I'm hearing, I don't know if it's true or not, that that may also be a contributing factor. No question, because again, what's in a birth control pill but estrogen and mm -hmm. progesterone. So mm -hmm. any exogenous extra estrogen is gonna do that. Now, when women are struggling with fibroids, the, the number one reason why women will present is because of heavy periods. It's the number one reason why women have heavy menstruals. Mm -hmm. So they go to their gynecologist and almost invariably they're gonna be placed on birth control. Now it's a double-edged sword because on the one hand, it will tend to, for most women, it'll tend to lighten their flow, mm -hmm. which is good. That's why they were put on the birth control pill. But on, in the background, it's like pouring gas on the fire. It's making the fibroids grow more rapidly than they otherwise would. So while it works for a little while, eventually it's gonna over, the growth, the more rapid growth of these fibroids from the est extra estrogen it's gonna overwhelm the ability to work any longer. And so then the gynecologist goes, okay, we tried the non-surgical approach to this. Mm -hmm. Now you need surgery. Mm -hmm. And it basically comes in two flavors and it depends entirely on a woman's desire for fertility. If she wants children, either possibly or definitely, she gets myomectomy as the option. If she's not interested in kids, no matter what age she is, she gets offered hysterectomy. And that's why the average age is so young 39 for hysterectomy, and um, it's just not necessary to do that. No, it's not, and it's, it's also very hard just thinking about it, at 39 years old women having to make that final decision because most right. women are starting to have children closer and closer to their 40s now. Right. Yeah, so that's that's a tough decision to make. So so Dr. Lippman, I'm sure you probably saw this class action lawsuit that Ben, ben Crump just recently launched in regards to the... the um, the hair relaxer industry. I'm just surprised that more, there's not more notification, more noise, uh, more discussions. I, I just wish there was more Dr. Lippman's out here talking. I know when um, you reached out to me the other day, I went to your um, IG stories and I saw that you asked the question. Most people are shying away from the conversation around the, the relaxers and um, the birth control pills and things of that nature. Why do you think that they're not really talking about this? Well, they're not talking about it because hysterectomy is a very big business. Mm -hmm. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. And so imagine a world that is full of candles. Everybody's got a candle. Everybody owns candles. They use candles at home for light. They purchase candles. There's big industries providing those candles, mm -hmm. and somebody comes along with an idea, why don't we, I've got this new invention called a, a light, you know, I've got electricity, you know, all of a sudden that's so disruptive, the people that own the candle business don't want you to, you know, this newer, better mousetrap, they don't mm -hmm. like you at all, mm -hmm. and they don't want you to, even though it's better and it's 
easier and cheaper, what have you, they're, they're very disrupted by that and they're going to do everything they can to kind of keep that knowledge under wraps. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what we have. We have a much better story. Um, patients don't want to be in the hospital. They don't want to be operated on. And you can get the relief with this amazing UFE procedure without any surgery at all. You don't need a hospital. You don't need a surgeon. Um, it's tremendous. But yet the gatekeepers of women's health, the gynecologist in general, they don't want you to know about it. And there's a lot of studies out there showing most women, even today, after 25 years of me doing this procedure, mm -hmm. it's you know well-proven, safe, and effective. Most women that go to their gynecologist, even today, will not be told about it at all, even though they all know about it. Mm -hmm. they're, they just, you know, they're surgeons. They want to operate. And even though this is a much better way to do things, it's completely under wraps. Yeah, and that's also disturbing because there's a lot of things that I think throughout the years, medical advances that just aren't coming to the forefront that can actually help save lives and reduce the amount of deaths and so forth that are happening, right? Right. Dr. Littman? It's, uh, I mean, I, I speak all over on this and, you know, uh, there's a lot of groups that'll say, well, if this were a male condition, if this were, mm -hmm. you know, a man, you know. If this, this was a white male condition. It would be over with. It would be over with. Right. I think, and, and, and I don't know if you know this, but African-American women are typically the most ignored oh. human on this earth. So our issues, our pain, because even in the medical field, Dr. Lipman, many times when we have issues, pain or discomfort in the hospitals is ignored. Oh. Many times it's being said, oh, it's in our mind, it's in our head. I think Serena Williams talked about yep. what she went through through childbirth. And so it's not a surprise to me that this is being ignored for so long. I, I, I do um want women, black women particularly, to take ownership and say, stop putting these relaxers in our hair. Don't put them into our baby's hair. Right. Think twice about ingest, ingesting additional estrogen into your bodies. Right. You have to almost be your own health advocate. That's I right. Mean, nobody knows your body better than you. That's right. And if you go to a physician or some healthcare provider and they're not listening to you or you feel dismissed, Find another doctor. Mm -hmm. There are lots of doctors out there. You you don't have to continually be ignored or dismissed. If if that's happening, find somebody. Find else. someone else. Um, you know, I as I mentioned earlier, I spoke at Tuskegee on this. My contention was my hypothesis was, you know, at the time the Tuskegee experiment stopped, which was around 1972, mm -hmm. it had been going on for 40 years, and so. Now I'm speaking, a white male physician, speaking mm -hmm. in front of several hundred black women at Tuskegee University, and my hypothesis was, even though in 72, when it was stopped, they said it would never happen again because there's, there's informed consent, and now you're going to have to be informed of all your options and consent to sign this and so forth. And while this was an ugly part of American medicine, it will never happen again. Mm -hmm. And my contention was... Uh, I think it's happening again. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. instead of poor male sharecroppers in Alabama who had syphilis mm -hmm. and weren't told about penicillin, mm -hmm. we have now black women of all sorts of That's socioeconomic right. not being told about UFE mm -hmm. and instead unnecessarily getting hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. It's not that dissimilar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, believe me, there were <laughs> I had a lot of angst going up in front of this group, as I say, being I white think and male. White and male. But, but I think you would be, have you talked, have you reached out to Ben Crump, attorney Ben Crump? I haven't, but, uh, you know, a number of them came up to me afterwards and they were so appreciative of what I had to say. And, mm -hmm. and it, it was so heartfelt and warming, because uh, I was c concerned about it. And they were like, no, 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 you were the, it's all about the message. It, mm -hmm. The messengers, you know, no, don't worry it's about that. It's the facts behind the right. message, right? Yes. It's even more important, though, that I think when when people can see it outside of the population that's affected, it's it it it, it rings even louder because it, it that means that it's even more visible. So I think because I know even I just recently I don't know if you're familiar with the young um, rapper Takeoff. 
Um, he was part of the Amigos and he just recently was killed. You may not know about it, but some of the things that they talked about as far as that's concerned um, has been talked about for a number of years. But now um, some white male label, record label uh, executives are now bringing some things to light and people are listening because it's not just internal, it's external, which is very, very, very important that we begin to listen and pay attention. And I agree with you. I, I would see this um, uh, hysterectomy, the fibroid situation being very similar to the Tuskegee experiment because it is so nine out of 10 women. Well, you said 80 percent. So it's really eight out of 10. Well, at least that we mean it certainly could be more. But women in, are entitled to know all their treatment options for fibroids. They're and they're only getting the surgical options in general. Mm -hmm. And so, but you are entitled to know all your options. Mm -hmm. And that's where we try to at least give them the information. Because if you, if you have the information, then you can finally make the best choice. You can make an educated you. decision. Now, what about this Stephanie Tubbs person that yeah. you mentioned? What, what was her story? What happened well, with Stephanie her? Stephanie Tubbs Jones was uh, in the House of Representatives and she mm -hmm. was pushing this fibroid legislation to get finally get some research. She struggled with it herself as mm -hmm. a number of the female representatives. Um, Yvette Clark from New York, mm -hmm. who has taken the mantle because she, uh, Stephanie, passed. Mm -hmm. um, and so Yvette Clark, who's uh, in the House, also suffered with fibroids and is now trying. She's on the House side and Cory Booker is on the Senate side trying to get this legislation passed because it, it provides, and it's not really big numbers in the scheme of things, it's $30 million a year for five years to the uh, NIH to study fibroids, and also in African-American women. Mm -hmm. um, even in the studies of fibroids, a lot of them, like the Mayo Clinic, for instance, had a study on fibroids. It was, the vast majority were Caucasian women. Mm -hmm. and like African-American women were underrepresented mm -hmm. in a condition that primarily affects them. It, affects it was us. ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, it also directs the CDC to put out information on all treatment options, including UFE, uterine fibroid embolization, that we do, mm -hmm. so that it educates the public and physicians on these non-surgical options for fibroids, which is also critical so that patients can make the best informed decision. They'll know all their options, not just surgery. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things I think is important to point out is that not only do you serve African-American women with your um, the procedure in which you, the UFE procedure, but you also give back to the community in which you serve, which is extremely important because sometimes what happens, Dr. Lippman, um, in business, we find opportunity. So I always tell people, solve a problem, become a millionaire. That is how um, so many business owners become millionaires is because they see a problem, they solve it, and they become a millionaire. In this case, you saw a problem which was... Um, the fibroid issue. You were in Atlanta where there's a, a larger amount of African-American population. You solved it by developing, well, not developing, but actually offering UFE. Um, and of course, I'm sure you've made a lot of money from doing that. Some people would stop there and go off into the sunset. But what I've seen personally is that you've now taken a percentage of that and put it back in the community. I've seen you work with so many African-American underserved um, organizations and people in the community. And so, so to talk to me about the mindset of that. Well, I, I feel a, you know, responsibility. That's mm -hmm. the women, that's the community I serve. So I want to be a part of that community. As I say, I volunteer at Morehouse school of medicine. Mm -hmm. I set up uh, uh, a scholarship there. So every year there's a, a scholarship in my dad's name because he was a very strong primary care physician and Morehouse turns out extraordinary primary care physicians. Mm -hmm. So every year there's a scholar in my dad's name at Morehouse. I set up a research fund, a, a very good friend of mine, Simon, who was on the radio here for many years, iconic. Passed away just Passed recently. away with pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. And I set up a research... It, at Morehouse in pancreatic cancer in his name, because uh, I just didn't know what to do. I mm -hmm. would, as a lot of people were, we were just devastated. really devastated by his loss. He was such a positive light in the community. I've, I've been privileged to be in the company of some really incredibly positive people, Simon included. Um, 
Hosea Williams, you uh, Herman were, Russell. You were very, um, really instrumental. I don't want you to slide over Hosea because Hosea um, Feed the Hungry is also a client of my agency here. And uh, I remember when we had the big grand opening and I was producing the uh, press conference. You were one of the top donors into moving them into their new facility. Right. That's that that was a big deal. Well, it was things I'm a strong believer in. You know, things don't happen by accident because mm-hmm. um, I had been getting this um, alert from the uh, I, I spoke at uh, the CBC, the clergy, black clergy mm-hmm. uh, meeting every Monday. They meet uh, vicars. Uh, down, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and so I spoke one time there on fibroids and UFE procedure. And so I'm on their email and I got an alert about, you know, come down this Monday um, we're, we're talking, it's really important. Uh, and I was free that Monday. I just, you know, I didn't have, uh, work on that particular Monday. So I was like, okay, you know, I haven't been in a while. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I want to go down there. And so I went and I, w- I walked in and there was, there was one seat there was place was filled. There was one seat available at one of the back tables. Uh, so I sat at that seat and, um, sitting next to me, was Elizabeth Omalami, and Afimo was next to her. Mm-hmm. And I just struck up a conversation with her. And they were there to speak, to petition, you know, and talk about their plight, because they they wanted a new building. They wanted to be in a new facility. They were just overrun where they currently mm-hmm. were at. And they tried to go through the normal channels. They went to the Atlanta City Council, and the council, you know, turned them down. And they said, we need $180,000. And um, so I said, look, um, you know, I can get you $100,000 if you can get the other 80 from your other donors. And so that's what made that happen. And we were able to get them into their new facility. And I was just there for Halloween. Uh, and it was, it's a tremendous building. I mean, and they, it's gorgeous. And not only do they do stuff for the f- food insecurity, I mean, that's just a part of, you know, everybody knows how they help feed the hungry and the mm-hmm. food insecure. But they do so much more. They provide job assistance, mm-hmm. rental assistance, mm-hmm. energy assistance, all the things we kind of take for granted. They help, and, and they're so important. I mean, they are such an important they're lifeline. They're a staple to this community. And I will say this. Our agency um, has been their public relations company uh, for almost upward to a decade. Um, Mrs. Omalami is so much more to me than just a client. And I just feel, I, I say this all the time, I feel so honored that I'm able to sit at her feet and learn from her because yep. even in her servitude and her and in, in, in her in her trying moments, she's still thinking about giving back and making sure that her father's legacy right. continues. And so, but I, and it's so important to me. I think it's important for all of us to always remember the least of us as we continue to drive and lead and trailblaze into the future. Well, what's their work is so amazing. And as I say, you know, I don't think it was an accident that, that I was at that meeting because I normally don't go mm-hmm. there. And it was the only seat available was next to her. And it's just things are not an accident. Uh, you know, I was placed there just like I was placed to hear the guy talk about, you know, the first 11 patients that were done for UFE. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would normally wouldn't have been at that meeting. And uh, when I heard him speak, I'm like, okay, now I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I believe every interaction is purposed. Whether you understand the purpose for it at that particular moment is going to come back. Just like the other day we were producing one of our other shows for another client, Ministry, and in walks Dr. Lippman. I'm like, Dr. Lippman, you're in the right place. And <laughs> <laughs> he came in and, 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 and enjoyed Ministry with us. And now you're here at Quanology, and who knows where that's going to take you know, before I believe every relationship, every connection. And I, even when I knew that you worked with Hosea and I came in as a patient, I never said, hey, I'm the publicist for Hosea. It was more so about the fact that um, I, I, I trusted you and your skill set. And, and, and I knew that that would all be um, 360 degrees and, and turn it. And here we are today. You're sitting in the Cornology studio. I know it's it, it's it's great. I, I I love the opportunity that, you know, to talk about the kind of things we're doing because, you know, I wish everyone knew about it. Um, And the more we have these conversations, the more people 
will listen and, and share this information because mm -hmm. it's, it's it's somewhat of an embarrassing topic. It's one of the reasons why it's not as well known because, you know, who wants to talk about Nobody their talks about that. I mean, I've had a number of patients say, you know, it wasn't until I was in the midst of this, you know, fibroid issue and I talked to my mom, I never knew my mom. I never it. knew. That's the part, yeah. Dr. Lippman. I had no idea. So that you're right. That's a topic that just recently women started feeling comfortable having a conversation. And I know you were a huge, a huge part of opening the doors for those conversations, but typically no one talked about the fact that they were afraid when they stood up that their the bottom of their pants yeah. were going to be full of blood. No one talked about the discomfort. No, I never knew that my mom and my all of my aunts struggled with I didn't even know my girlfriends and right. best friends until I talked about, oh, I have to have this procedure. Oh, I had that, and this is what you need to do. I'm like, wow, why, why right. are we talking about this? It was taboo this? for no reason. We've well, it's an, it's an embarrassing yeah. topic. But, but Dr. Lipman, what's next? Do you think there's a, a, a procedure that will supersede UFE? Uh, it's certainly possible. We're getting less and less invasive all the time. And mm -hmm. that's, that's great. That's the progress. And we shouldn't be afraid of that. We should embrace it. And um, so I, I, I hope there is. I mm -hmm. hope we continue to, to innovate and make things better. Mm -hmm. um, we'll look back on, you know, hysterectomy, surgery. Why in the world are we essentially amputating black mm -hmm. women, young black women, for benign disease? Now, if mm -hmm. it's cancer, hysterectomy is appropriate. Mm -hmm. But there's no reason in the world we should be doing hysterectomies for benign fibroids. Just shouldn't be doing it. UFE should completely replace all that. But it, it hasn't yet. Uh, it's only scratched the surface. We could be doing And you've been doing this for 25, 25 years. 25 years, and still we're just scratching the surface. There are so many women that we could help around the country that mm -hmm. would benefit from this. But that's why we continue doing what we do every day, trying to talk to as many people that will listen. Because, you know, somebody listening to this will probably mm -hmm. say, wow, that's me. I'm suffering with fibroids. Mm -hmm. I was only told, I was told I had to have a hysterectomy. It's right. If it's not them, it's someone that they know. Exactly. And and we're going to make sure that the information is uh, connected to this uh, uh, podcast so that people can reach out and receive some type of assistance because you don't have to live like this. No. You that, do that not. Is, that is so important because, you know, you get into this, well, I've just got to, I've just got to push through. Um, this is, you know, I'm getting older. They may think it's, it's an older, you know, mm -hmm. I've turned 40 and now my periods are heavy. That just me must be my lot in life. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just a heavy bleeder. No, mm -hmm. that's abnormal. Or my mom and my aunties right. all said, this right. is just the way it has to be. It's not, it's, it's not normal, even though you've been doing it for a long time and trying to push through it. It's not normal. I can show you what normal is. You have mm -hmm. your UFE. It's transformational. You get your life back. Um, you know, people will bring bags of clothing to the, the appointment. Everything they do revolves around this it does. period. And it's liberating. It's, it's, you get the energy back that you haven't had in years. Um, you know, we like when men come out, because while we focus on talking to women and sharing the information with women, men need to hear this too. Um, I remember... Years ago, when I treated Cynthia Bailey, mm -hmm. uh, I saw Cynthia and Peter in the office, and this was all televised, so I can say all this. Mm -hmm. um, Peter didn't understand what she, you know Cynthia she was, was going, going through. through. All he could, you know, from his perspective, was he wasn't getting relations because mm -hmm. relations really kind of went grinding to a mm -hmm. halt for two reasons. One, Cynthia was bleeding so heavily; she was anemic, chronically fatigued, and mm -hmm. tired. And let's face it. Relations is exercise. Mm -hmm. And second, she was wearing all this padding and gear and mm -hmm. adult diapers. She doesn't feel very, even though she's a That's know, right, beautiful. beautiful model, mm -hmm. she didn't feel very sexual wearing diapers mm -hmm. and bleeding like she was bleeding. So relations kind of grinded to a halt. And so from Peter's perspective, it's like, well, she must not love me. Mm -hmm. And that, was, that wasn't true at all. Mm -hmm. She loved Peter, but she was... It was all she could do she to was get through suffering. the day. Suffering. She was suffering. And once I, I did the UFE procedure on her, she got her life back. Everything changed. She got, she, as she told me, I gave her her sexy back. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So much so that she got married again to someone right, else. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? So she really got her sexy back. Yep. So Dr. Lippman, as we come to a close, what, what would you like the, the population to get from this podcast? Well, the most important point, I think, is that no matter what your gynecologist tells you, if you're suffering with fibroids, you don't have to have surgery. 
UFE, uterine fibroid embolization, is one of the biggest medical breakthroughs. It's completely outpatient, non-surgical. It's about a 30-minute procedure, 30, 40 minutes. Um, patients will spend a few hours at our center and go home not only with their uterus, just a Band-Aid. That's it, a mm -hmm. Band-Aid at the top of their leg. A short and back to work the next yeah, day. Yeah, short recovery, mm -hmm. back to their work, back to life without any operation. Because, you know, women that had hysterectomies, they, they can suffer psychologically, like mm -hmm. a man being castrated. They can suffer sexually, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of sexual dysfunction, urinary leaking. If you go to where they sell adult diapers, you should see a picture of my dad. He's 95. You won't see a picture of him. You'll see a picture of someone who looks like you, mm -hmm. attractive, young, African-American woman. Mm -hmm. Why? Because that's the market for adult diapers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Women that have had hysterectomies now need to wear adult diapers. I mean, wow. it's tragic. I have a, an ad from Depends. It's a very attractive, thin African-American woman, and she's scooching on uh, over her adult diaper, these skinny jeans, and it's the, some cutesy thing like, they'll never know what you're wearing. It's like, well, wait a minute. Why in the world does she need a need diaper? Mm -hmm. That's the question that needs to be mm -hmm. ans you mm -hmm. know, answered. It's so unnecessary. You do not need to have surgery, and we've got to get that information out get there. Get it out there. We need to get it out there. Because you're entitled to know all the stuff, all mm -hmm. the options, so that you can make the best decision for you. That's right. And, and, and I'm very thankful that my gynecologist did give me all of the information so that I could make that decision. I'm especially at the age that I was. But Dr. Lemon, thank you so much for coming out. I appreciate you taking the time to come down, share some tips that you had from business and also to educate the Coronology viewers. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll see you guys next time on Coronology. You ain't getting no money if you're constantly worried about what everybody else got to say. If you constantly got your eyes on what everybody else doing, you ain't getting no money. When it comes down to posting a deal, I get it done every single one.